always has been a real pleasure to talk to you, to your hopes, to your great expectations. As you look at other people who has accomplished something. And I'm looking at you here now in a really luxurious surrounding. And I'm coming before you quite full of hopes and of worries. I will not talk to you about the way to make a success. There are many ways to happiness and many ways to failure. Success is only a part of it. My own life has not been dominated by a desire of success. It has been a life I'm now 84 years old. I have seen most of this century. It has been a life closely connected with disasters, with overcoming of these disasters, with the creating of a better world. And today, more than at any time in my life, I know that we here in America, you here the young people of America are at a crossroad before a choice, a complex one that will be made in many steps and many of them decisive. a choice between a better world, between a 21st century of more security, of more relevant and great changes, 
And on the other hand, a choice that could repeat some of the worst mistakes that have been made in my lifetime. I was born in Hungary. For more than half a century, I could not and did not get back to visit my native land. The communists were there. In recent months, I have been back four times. I have been seeing and participating in a struggle to get rid of a bad past that lasted for more than a generation. I have seen an effort to make a new future that required a new set of values. And I can tell you of one scientific, scientific discovery I made. I discovered the most inert substance in the world, that is the human brain. <laughs> and I will tell you one that is more inert, and that is a collection of human brains such as you will find in the faculty of a university or in the Pentagon or in a whole nation. When you have to introduce new habits, enormous difficulties. I say, you have noticed and maybe you have not thought about it often enough that in the last four years, 400 million people have become free. Free not to submit to a few tremendous mistakes by some dictators, but to make the small mistakes that all people will make and all people have to strive to correct. I would like to tell you something of my own knowledge, limited but also not so limited. I have to tell you one of the decisive things that brought about this change and that is technology. And specifically, and this is not the same that you will hear every day, it is technology applied to new weapons. And I want to tell you one, one example, one striking example. You know of the invasion of Afghanistan by the Soviet Union. You know of the courageous, desperate fight the Afghans put up. Two million casualties, one third of the people leaving the country. 
a horrible war. And we went in and helped. And we decided the war. You know how? Not by massive help. Not by fighting. Yes, by spending money. But I want to tell you how much money. We gave them a couple of thousand Stinger missiles. Very clever missiles that could seek out the low-flying planes that were killing the guerrilla fighters. That decided the war. And I want to tell you, not in dollars, how much it cost us. It cost a little less than what the Pentagon is spending on the average in guess how long a time? A little less than two hours. It is something like one five thousandth of the yearly budget of our armed forces. And by being ahead of technology, by introducing not a bigger bang, but a defensive weapon, we managed to force the withdrawal of the Soviet forces. Now, we didn't do it alone, for God's sakes. The main job were, was the job done by the courageous guerrilla fighters. But they, in turn, would have been defeated, except for that little help in technology. Now, I am telling you all this as an introduction to something you should remember even better. And you should remember, because I know that already two wonderful people have talked about it here on this podium today. The war in the Gulf. A president, famous for his compromises, decided that aggression is something with which he will not compromise. And when any number of so-called military experts in the House and Senate told him, we can't do it, he said, we shall. We won, he won over a majority. He managed to pull together that famous debating society called the United Nations and made an effective force from them and stopped the aggressor at very little cost in money. And what's much more important, extremely little cost in human lives. It is good evidence that this had a truly terrific effect 
in the Soviet Union. The leaders, many of them clever, many of them reasonable, the leaders in the Soviet armed forces, in the Soviet KGB, noticed America is ahead in research. And for all the appearance of hesitation and compromises, when the chips are down, America can act. And almost miraculously, no, miraculously, I take back the almost. That was the end of the Soviet Union. A great deal of credit goes to the people of Moscow who put themselves before the tanks to protect their parliament. And a great deal of credit goes to the minority of excellent leaders in Russia who noticed that a change is necessary. But all this would not have come about without technology and technology applied in the cause of peace, in the cause of the defense of freedom. And now, at last, I want to tell you why I am emphasizing this. We are apt because the victory seemed so easy. We are apt to forget how big it is. That it has opened the life of freedom for an incredible multitude of people. But that these people are confused. They don't know yet how to act. They need further help. And this, my young friends, this I want to say with all kinds of emphasis. As a foreigner who has come to your country and who loves your country, this is not the time to say America first. Because America is a part of the world. And the world is in a critical stage. And one more thing. Apparently unrelated to what I have just said. But perhaps not quite independent. Already in the short time you have been here and I have been here, we have heard about worries concerning the environment. I am worried about the environment. But I am worried about it 
perhaps in the opposite way in which you are. And I have to tell you something that might make you recoil. And I don't care. I hope it will make you think. And for that, I do care. The environmentalists are full of fear. They tell us of dangers. And they do not investigate the dangers closely enough. There is a more general feeling in the country that is sometimes expressed in the extreme words, technology is dehumanizing. My young friends, I have a message. And I have tried to introduce this message to you. And now I will tell you what it is. Technology and the father of technology, science, no, the mother of technology, science, is dehumanizing factor. It is what makes the difference between us humans and all other forms of life. I am not telling you that technology is good. I am telling you that technology is humanizing and can lead to the good or to the evil of which humans are capable. And whether it's good or evil is not a question of technology. But without technology, we are not truly human. Let me tell you that in worrying about the environment, for me, the first thing is not what to do about the cleanup. The first thing is to find out what the status of the pollution is. I recommend to a book, you a book, by a wonderful lady, a marine biologist, who became chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission, and then governor of her state of Washington, Dixie Lee Ray. He wrote, she wrote a book. You should read it. The title is Trashing the Planet. She's not complaining so much about the pollution. She's complaining about the mindless way how pollution is discussed. And here is one of her prime examples. Have you heard of DDT? Of course you have. It has been forbidden because it showed up in human beings. What you will find, and you can check it, and it is documented. Yes, DDT can be found in human beings, 
has been thoroughly investigated and does do precisely no damage. By using DDT, malaria was almost eradicated. Then, some 20 years ago, it was forbidden in the United States, and the rest of the world imitated us. And in the island of Ceylon, where the new cases of malaria were down to 200 per year. Malaria reappeared at the strength of 100,000 cases per year. I claim that uh, forbidding of DDT has been an enormous boon to the mosquitoes and has actually caused the death in the last 20 years of more than 10 million people of malaria. Fortunately, not yet in the United States, although malaria is beginning to spread here as well. Clean up, yes, by all means. But first, find out all the facts. Technology can be used and can be misused. But those who tell you, be afraid of technology, be afraid of changes, be afraid of military applications, Worry before you start biological changes by biochemical means. In each of these cases, look out. The world in this last century has doubled its store of knowledge. And at the beginning of the century, when I came to this country, America was a leader. Today, in our universities, in the hard subjects, half the students are foreigners. I don't mind. I'm a foreigner. But the other half the Americans are the poorer half because they have been told that technology is dehumanizing. It is in your hands to make out of America a leader in the new world in which technology goes forward. Technology goes forward with caution. And technology goes forward in the interest of everybody. This balanced view, this proper evaluation of what technology has done in a positive sense and can do in the future, that is 
your main problem. Now, I want to end by telling you how I would decide between being in this situation an optimist or a pessimist. And I will tell you that indirectly by defining each. A pessimist is one who is always right, but does not get any enjoyment out of it. And an optimist is a person who imagines that the future is uncertain. And it is a duty to consider the future uncertain. Because if you do so, you are apt to do something about it. Good luck.